Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. As I was getting ready for this sermon, I was thinking about an experience that I had earlier last month. And the experience kind of focused around a baby dedication. Here at City Church, we don't practice the baptism of infants. We believe that the Bible says, believe and then be baptized. But what we do participate in is the dedication of children to the Lord. And so since we really haven't been able to meet uh, and this young couple wanted to dedicate their son to the Lord, they wanted to do it kind of private on the property. They just happened to own a farm and so or part of their family owns a farm. So we set up this opportunity to gather and dedicate this little fellow to the Lord. So there we were kind of on the back porch of this house overlooking the, the mountains and farmland. Absolutely beautiful. And uh, we were dedicating this little fellow to the Lord. And how it kind of worked is they sort of had a godfather and a godmother that were there, someone that would pray for the child and really be there with this little fellow as he grew. And so people were saying different things. It was a real sweet time. You could sense the presence of the Lord was there. And then when it came time for one of the, the young ladies to share, when she stepped forward, she said something that stunned me. She said... I want everyone to know, there are maybe a dozen people there, most of them related. She said, I want everyone to know, I just recommitted my life to Jesus. She said, and what she was kind of moving off of is seeing this little man, this young little baby, so pure, and she'd been asked to participate spiritually in his life because that's part of a baby dedication that no one raises a child alone, that people around are there to pray and to share and to walk with Jesus with this little, little fellow. And so she made that announcement. She said, I want everyone to know that I just committed my life to Jesus. She had judged herself in God's presence, overlooking the beauty of God's creation. And she shared that publicly. And when she first said it, it surprised me. Because I thought, and it wasn't weird, it just surprised me in that it was so unrelated to everything that was happening. And yet, in a moment or two, I processed it. And I thought what she just said made total sense. Total sense. In the moving of God's presence, as she looked around at what was happening, she judged herself. And when she did, she knew she wasn't right with God. I get the sense that at some point in her life, she had a meaningful relationship with Jesus. But for whatever way, for whatever reason, had walked away. And she was declaring publicly that was her commitment to walk with Christ. Now, with that kind of in the back of our minds, I want us now to turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Now, one way to look at the Sermon on the Mount is this. Chapter 5 is kind of how the kingdom works. Chapter 6, Jesus gives a little bit more explanation about himself and his kingdom. Chapter 7 is how you walk it out. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to look at the Sermon on the Mount? And chapter 7 is like, well, this is how you do it. 
And so with that in mind, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Here's what Jesus says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Now remember last week when my son was teaching, he taught us that hypocrite means actor in the ancient world. It doesn't mean what it means to us, where you're kind of two-faced. It means that you're acting for people. You're putting on a performance. So Jesus says, you actor, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, when we read chapter 7, 1 through 12, it seems like Jesus has a random series of thoughts. They look incredibly disconnected. As a matter of fact, if you were reading it, you probably thought that. He's talking about one thing, talks about prayer, seeking, asking. All of a sudden, there's something about pigs and dogs. And then all of a sudden, it's treat people the way you want to be treated. Seems kind of random. But when you read the scriptures and the way people in the Middle East would read them, they would know that it's one continuous topic. And here's how you know. Verse 1 talks about how you treat people. The last verse we read talks about how you treat people. And so in the Middle Eastern mind, everything Jesus said is definitively connected. How you treat people matters, all the stuff in the middle, how you treat people matters at the end. So what I want us to do is I'm going to highlight a few things that I think are important for us to understand in the season, in the culture, in the times in which we live. Notice that at the beginning, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many of you have ever heard this verse quoted? The Bible says, do not judge. Raise your hand. How many of you have heard that? Look, I've heard this said in political debate. I've read it in things on the internet. I've heard it said on the news. You shall not judge. 
But is that what really Jesus is saying? He begins truly by saying, do not judge. But then he goes on to say, or you too will be judged. He goes on to say, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is fascinating to me is that when Jesus talks about us judging other people, he does not speak about our judgment coming to the correct conclusion. Doesn't mention that. What Jesus is concerned about is how we judge, the way in which we judge. That is apparently what matters to him. The reason is, is Jesus, in the religious culture in which he was living, he had seen people of faith judge with a severity, a harshness, a rigid, graceless, mean-spirited, religiously-based judgmentalism. He had seen that. And so when Jesus starts talking about how to live out the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about what it looks like to follow him, in chapter 7, verse 1, he begins by saying, do not judge. But then he seems to qualify it. He seems to know we will. And because of that, he warns us, with the measure you judge, by that measure, you will be judged. What I know is, what we're going to look at next is going to be very difficult. It's going to be challenging. But that's how the Sermon on the Mount is. And to live out the Sermon on the Mount is not going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge. But with that said, remember again, Jesus said with the measure you judge, with that measure, you will be judged. If you were to look up that word measure in Strong's Concordance, it's available online. You can look up any word in the Bible and it will tell you about the word, how many times it's used and what it actually means. The word measure in Strong's Concordance means this, the basis for determining what is enough or not enough, the basis for measuring what's fair or unfair, the basis for measuring or the controlling understanding by which something is determined as acceptable or unacceptable. So it's literally the measurement itself. It's the standard that you use. And here's what Jesus says. The standard you use to judge other people will be the standard by which you are measured. That's shocking. Now what's even more fascinating is William Shakespeare wrote an entire play based on Matthew chapter 7 verse 2. The play is entitled Measure for Measure. That's what it's entitled. It's actually a comedy. And if you were to know anything about this play, my son Peter used to make me take him to Stanton to the Shakespearean Playhouse. If you've never been there, gotta go. It's amazing. 
Now, this Shakespearean play, Measure for Measure, although it's a comedy, it's very serious in the points that it brings out. It begins by introducing us to a nobleman by the name of Angelo. And Angelo, because the Duke is living, leaving Vienna, Angelo is put in charge over the city of Vienna in the play. What we know in the play is, is that Duke pretends to leave but really doesn't. He begins to live in disguise. He's living in Vienna, and he's watching Angelo lead. Well, what quickly happens in the play is that the power goes to Angelo's head. And it's not long before he condemns to death a young man by the name of Claudio because he has a child out of wedlock. But in the midst of this, Claudio's sister, Isabella, comes to Angelo and begs him, begs him that he would be able to, uh, that her brother would be able to be forgiven and not judged and not killed. The reality of it is, though, Angelo sticks tight. This Claudio must die. But as the comedy moves on, we discover that Angelo falls in love lustfully with Isabella. And he strikes a deal or tries to strike a deal with her, which is very ungodly, that if certain things would happen, he would set her brother free. Well, in the end, you know what happens. The Duke returns. And when the Duke returns, he knows the entire story. He figures it all out, and he holds Angelo accountable. But fascinatingly enough, what happens is the Duke forgives everyone. Everyone is forgiven. And so if you know the biblical passage of Matthew 7-2, you know that measure for measure has happened. Well, what's amazing is that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Jesus is not saying that if you use a certain measure, a certain way of judging other people, that will come back to you from other people. That's not what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, history is littered with people who used kind judgment but were treated very, very harshly. Jesus among them. What Jesus is talking about is actually quite stunning. And it's this. That the measure you use and how you judge others, that's the measure God will use against you. We are accountable before God as to how we treat people. Jesus is clear. He says the measure you use, that's the measure that will be used to judge you. Believe me, when I was studying this text and I read that and put it together, I thought to myself, dear God, have mercy on my soul. You see, Christianity is based on, and the Older Testament tells us, that everyone is accountable to God for their actions. Not just for their actions, but how we judge people. We're accountable to God. You see, if you were to take a look at William Shakespeare's play, Will Measure for Measure, you might say to yourself, well, really what we're talking about here is karma. 
that we've got this guy who does bad things and karma comes back to get him. I want to be crystal clear. There's zero evidence for karma anywhere in the Bible. Karma's not found in the Bible. People of the Bible don't believe in karma. It's not there. What people of Jesus and people of the Bible believe is that we are accountable to God and God judges justly and rightly and he rewards good action that's done in his name. That's not karma. Please hear me. We believe and the Bible teaches that we are accountable to God and he is the one that rewards and he does so lovingly but he does so justly. Let me give you a biblical example. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24 affects all of us. Here's where we are accountable to God, and he rewards. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for your boss as working for a paycheck, as working for the accolades of other people? No. We work because we're accountable to God. We work as for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a what? Reward. We are accountable to God. God sits in judgment over us, but he rewards generously and lovingly. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Notice that, that in the Newer Testament specifically, you and I are called to be accountable to God, but specifically for how we judge others. So let's pick up our reading again. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Let's read again. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with that measure you use to judge others, that's the measure with which you will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? By the way, right now, almost all Bible commentators will tell you the crowd would have been laughing hysterically. This is actually humor in the ancient world. Picture what's happening. Someone has a friend, they have a little speck of sawdust in their eye, and they come to help their friend, and they have a 12 by 12 plank sticking straight out of their forehead. And when you go to help your friend, you've got this plank sticking out of your forehead, and as you try to help your friend, you're smacking them up against their head with this huge 12 by 12 plank sticking out of your face. It's humorous. That's the way it's supposed to be. So the people on that hillside for the Sermon on the Mount would have burst out laughing. Jesus goes on to say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while all the time there's this plank in your eye? You hypocrite, you actor. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet 
and turn and tear you to pieces. I want you to notice very clearly Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. We are actually called to judge. Jesus says at the end there in verse 6, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, you do have to make judgments. If you don't judge, you will actually take what's sacred and you'll cheapen it so much that you'll actually feed it to dogs. That you'll take the righteousness of God and the goodness of God and you'll make it into something that it isn't. Notice that phrase. It says, don't th throw your pearls to pigs. One of the reasons why I kind of chuckle when I say that is my wife was given by her dad, who's now passed away. He gave her this beautiful string of pearls. They're supposedly really good pearls. And could you imagine if my wife, Rand, took those heirloom pearls and she drove up 29 North past Rockersville and on the left-hand side, there's a petting zoo. And if you haven't been there, go there. It's awesome. And in there is the coolest pig you'll ever see. He's absolutely massive. He looks like he's totally blind. And if you call to him and you kind of put some food out, he'll stumble over. Think of it as, I don't think he's bathed in years. Actually, he's completely nasty. But it's awesome to see him. Now, could you imagine if my wife when she was looking at that pig, took her necklace of pearls that her dad gave her, those heirloom pearls, and she cut them and just fed them to the pig. First of all, the pig's not going to eat them. At best, the pig's going to trample on them. And what Jesus is saying is that if we don't make judgments, what will end up happening is things of value will become so devalued in our lives that they will become completely irrelevant in the sense of why God's given them and why he's blessed us with them. So isn't it amazing? It begins with don't judge, but verse 6 tells us that we need to make judgments and we need to be judging things, but remember, it's all about how we judge. Verses 3 through 5 help us. Verses 3 through 5 talk to us about self-reflection. That when we go to judge someone else and they have a speck in their eye, but because a lack of self-reflection, we can't see the tree trunk growing out of our forehead. So Jesus says that we are to be a group of people who are very self-reflective in the presence of God. Just like that young lady was out on that back porch during this baby dedication, in the midst of God's presence, in the midst of the moving of the Spirit, she began to see herself more clearly. And when she did, she realized she needed Jesus. Now I've got a very clear question for us. How is it that you've been judging people during this season? Because you have been. Jesus is clear, we're going to make judgments about people. It's how we're doing it and the measurement that we're using to achieve it. Listen, during this season, over the last five or six months, being completely honest, I've watched the cancel culture step straight into the church. 
where people have said, because you don't agree with me politically, you're out. I've observed in social media how people are talking about other people. And I shudder to think that the measurement they're using, that someday God could turn that measurement on them. Could you imagine That's what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, that for those of us who follow Jesus, our measurement matters. How we are judging matters. But again, verses three through five. Bring to us a humorous story about a tree trunk growing out of someone's face while they're making a huge deal about a speck in their brother's eye. So again, I have a question. Have we been judging other people harshly? Have we been mean-spirited? Have we had some form of righteous indignation against someone else? Could you imagine if God judges us by the measure to which we've been measuring our judgment? Before we go on, I'd like us to take a moment and pray. Because if you're like I am, When the Sermon on the Mount in this context began to grip me, I needed to stop and I needed to pray and I needed God to help me because the message of our culture is cancel people. Could you imagine if God canceled us? Could you imagine? By the measure you judge, you will be measured. Let's pray. Jesus, I know for many of us, We recognize how central this text is to the day in which we're living. Jesus, I pray that you would help us, that we would be a group of people that would judge others the way we're praying that God would judge us. God, help us. God, forgive us. God, I pray that we would ask and we would seek and we would knock now and we would ask for your spirit for your truth, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for accurate assessment to be given to us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Because there's so many things that are desiring to fill us in these days. But help us to be a group of men and a group of women that judge, but in our judgment, they are righteous and true. They're godly and kind. They're peace-loving and peaceable. Help us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's fascinating to me that after Jesus calling us to self-reflection, the next thing he talks about is prayer. Isn't that amazing? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, very quickly, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then there's a quick parable about God. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus has moved from talking about judging to talking about self-reflection in the presence of God. And now we end up again in the place where he's talking about how we treat others. What you could not know, but if you're into the deeper things of the study of the Bible, Jesus is actually quoting and referencing Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Isaiah the prophet said hundreds of years before Jesus was born. God speaking through the prophet says, and listen carefully, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. And all day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. You see, when Jesus talks about asking and seeking, it's a clear reference to Isaiah 65, 1 and 2, that there's this God who loves. There's a God who is generous. There's a God who desires to reveal himself to anyone who would ask. And so Jesus says, if you knock, the door's going to be open. Anyone who asks, seeks, knocks. God is a good, generous father who gives of himself freely to anyone who will ask, seek, and knock. And as one very in-depth theologian showed in his writings, that ask, seek, and knock, the initials are A-S-K, ask. It's almost like Jesus is saying over and over, God is good, ask him. God is good, seek him. God is good, knock. And if you do, you will find him. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to move forward to communion? Let's stand together. As we stand together and we move towards communion. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, if you would go ahead and take the communion elements out as well. The Bible tells us that Jesus, in that room with his disciples, he says the following. Apostle Paul speaking here. Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we hold the bread before the Lord, as it symbolizes the body of Jesus, I want us to remember as we hold this bread up, that the measure by which Jesus was judged with violence 
and hatred and bitterness and rage. The measure by which Jesus was judged, he by grace chose not to judge back that way. Instead, Jesus responded in truth and in love. As we hold up this bread, the symbol of his body, let's commit ourselves in a fresh and a new way to be men and women of Jesus, that we would follow Jesus closely, and that in our judgment, that we would remember the response of Christ, and that we would follow in that, knowing that we are accountable to him. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your response of forgiveness and of love, but of truth and of grace. Jesus, as we hold this bread before you, we acknowledge again that we are accountable to you in our judgments and how we treat others. Let's eat together. The Bible goes on to say, in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus is looking for men and women who would have a different judgment and a different measurement and a different way of moving through life than what the world has to offer. Jesus is looking for his kingdom to advance through us. That as disciples of Jesus, we would live our lives differently because we know we're accountable to him. So Jesus, as we hold this cup up before you, we ask that you would forgive us and that you would cleanse us. And that through self-reflection in your presence before your word, that we would be men and women of God. And that it would be said of us that as we judge and as we move through this life, that we know that we're accountable to God. And we live that way. That the measure for which we are judged will be the measure by which God judges us in Christ. And we will offer that to others. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for the new covenant that it brings. Thank you that in the midst of this, the law has been fulfilled in Christ and we stand now in grace and in truth. Let's drink the cup together. We're going to take a moment to worship together and then I'll return with the pastoral blessing. Let's worship. Thank you.